Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Embrace with Grace podcast. Thank you guys for listening and tuning in. And before I really jump into today's podcast, I just want to thank you so much for all of you who have been so sweet, so supportive, so encouraging, and just haven't held back in sharing um, just the things that have really spoken to you or that have encouraged you or whatever it may be, I just want to say thank you because this was a total leap of faith for me and I just felt it so strongly one one morning. I told Kellen, I don't know the first thing about podcasting. We've looked into it, but I don't know what to do. And I was I got all squirrely, but I really felt strongly. And I said, you know what? Even if only one person is encouraged by it, um, I should just do it. If it's not worth doing it for one, then it's not worth it at all. Also in that, this is kind of a side tangent, but I remember Kellen telling me one time that he, because I kind of struggle with people pleasing. That's something that I've had to really work on and overcome in my life. I don't like conflict, confrontation. I really don't, um, I just want people to like me in a weird way and you don't have to love me, but that's kind of was always my MO. I just didn't want to ruffle feathers. And I told Kellen, gosh, you know, when I, when we first met five years ago, I was like, it's really challenging for me because everyone wants something different from you and I don't want to let anyone down. And I was kind of asking him how, you know, he navigated that world and his, he had the best answer. And he's like, I don't do anything for an audience of people. I do things for an audience of one. Like I just do things for God and that's it. And I was like, that's so simple, but brilliant. And that really set me free. So maybe even in the first, you know, couple minutes of this podcast, maybe that is your one takeaway from today's episode. Don't do things for an audience, for a following, for subscribers, to be an influencer, whatever the, the your motivation might be, if that's what it is. Let me just encourage you with advice from my husband, which is just do it for an audience of one. If God has told you to do something, just do it and don't worry about what other people say because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for him. So anyways, that had nothing to do with today, but sometimes it's those little nuggets that are the best. So anyways, moving along, I'm getting more and more progressively out of breath these days. I am coming up on 37 weeks pregnant, and um, it is a a journey. It has been such a blessing and a wonderful journey, but definitely I'm feeling a lot more of the aches and pains. She's getting big. I'm having a lot more um, just contractions periodically, Braxton Hicks, and just nothing serious. I'm not going into labor, I don't think, um, anytime soon, but it's definitely getting a little more more intense and I'm getting so excited. So if I am out of breath or breathing heavy, you know that I'm either having a contraction, she's kicking my ribs, or I'm just losing my breath because that's what's happening. Um, A few episodes ago, I believe it was episode three, I shared about going into the doctor and finding out in my seventh month of pregnancy that we had lost our daughter, that she was no longer alive after a perfectly seamless and smooth pregnancy as far as just health-wise. Every test was perfect. I was perfect. She was perfect. And by perfect, I mean no red flags. Nothing came up. Everything was beyond good. Um, Growth scans were wonderful. 
every time we saw an ultrasound, we got to see her face and um, she was always moving and they just, there's no answers. But I really want to encourage you today, and I hope that it will encourage you. I want to go a little bit deeper into my story and the aftermath of that whole situation. And I really hope that this encourages someone out there to, or just empowers you, maybe empowers is a better word, to know that you have the ability and the choice to change your perspective, and perspective truly is everything. Um, I obviously named this podcast episode The Power of Perspective because I do believe that there is so much power that we put in our perspective, and it can be power for good or powerful for bad. But um, And I wanted to read this because I loved this definition. In the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, perspective. There's three that I want to read. So number one is the angular direction in which a person looks at an object. Two, point of view, which is often what we refer to as perspective and kind of what I would, you know, that's how I would define it if someone just asked me. But it's this third definition that I really love, which perspective is the ability to understand what is important and what isn't. And it's not a matter of me you know, sharing this story and saying, oh, that wasn't important. It was just more the perspective of this is the most important, if that makes sense. So I just want to kind of walk through a little bit um, to recap the last uh, or episode three. And kind of like I shared at the beginning of this one, I was in my seventh month of pregnancy and Kellen was in New York. I flew back to Los Angeles, which is where my doctor was, because basically the timeline of him shooting this show, he was going to finish a few months before we were going to have our baby girl. So we were going to wrap in New York and then fly back to California, which is where our house was and our families, and have the baby there. So I flew back. I remember taking a picture on the you know, the table, the the doctor's table. <laughs> I don't know if table's the right word, but you know, with the tissue paper and sending it to him and being so excited to see our daughter. And um, basically, yeah, she, she came in she, with the Doppler, which is just to hear the baby's heartbeat. And it was the most deafening silence and hollowness that I've ever heard. But I tried to kind of ignore it and be like, oh, you know, and my doctor is just was the absolute sweetest and the best person that I could have walked through this journey with because she had such a sweet bedside manner and such a calm temperament. She never alerted me or, or, you know, made me feel scared. She was just like, you know what, let's just go next door. And I knew she already knew in hindsight looking back, but I think I knew too, but you just don't want to acknowledge something like that. Your body, re- essentially, literally your physical being rejects what is kind of happening. And so we went next door, did an ultrasound, and um, yeah, there was there was no heartbeat. There was no life there anymore. And so obviously that was incredibly hard and I was in shock of course I really just tr- I immediately just started trying to take deep breaths I was there alone my husband and father of my child was thousands of miles across the country and um luckily my mom was in the waiting room 
And so I said, can you go get my mom? Because I was just, you're in shock. You're just trying to process. I, I hear the words, but if this isn't real yet. And so basically in the aftermath of that, I went, you know, <laughs> I had to make the worst phone call to Kellen and he was at work and I'm just texting him like, hey, are you on a break? Because I didn't want him to be in the middle of like filming a scene and give him this bad news. Looking back, I should have just called regardless, but I was like, oh, I want to be sensitive to his, you know, what he's doing and his coworkers. And, you know, it's so funny how shock doesn't make you think rationally. If you've ever been in shock from maybe you did have a loved one pass away or something just shocking happen, it's funny how you don't you just don't think rationally the thoughts you have. You're like, where did that come from? But I had to make that call to him. And I was, I didn't even cry initially because I was just in shock. I was, I, and I was telling him the words and he was in shock and we were both in shock. And I'm like, I can't even hug my husband right now. I can't like, there's nothing. I, I felt very helpless and hopeless. We went into her office, discussed just different things. And just for the sake of, um, you know, I'm, I'm a very transparent person, but I do think that vulnerability is something that you is different than transparency. Transparency is, very, is being very open about where you are. And I think vulnerability should be saved for safe people because vulnerability is when you really expose your innermost parts and thoughts. And really vulnerability is often when you expose areas of yourself that are not healed yet. And so there are still some parts that I'm still working out and healing. So for the sake of my own respect to myself and um, my daughter and Kellen and everything, um, I, I'm not going to go super into detail in every single detail. But basically, my doctor was very, very sweet and said, because again, I was in shock, so I wasn't thinking properly. And I was like, oh, you know, we can just get this show on the road without Kellen. Because I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, my my daughter's dead and she's in my belly and I can feel her in there, but she's not there. And this is like, I, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And she <laughs> kind of stopped me and she said, no, your husband really needs to be here. Like, just take a little bit of time. We've gone over a lot of information. She pushed all of the patients um, that she had, and she just sat with me. She hugged me. <laughs> she was so kind. She felt you. I could feel her heart, and I literally could feel God's heart through her to me in that moment. It was such a gift. And I remember going down to the car with my mom and just starting to cry and just being like, I can't believe this happened. Like, how did this happen? You know? But I remember my first words out of my mouth one night when we got to the car and I was just trying to process was like, I am so grateful that she never experienced pain because in that moment I was experiencing the most intense pain. I think that, you know, well, I know that I've ever felt and I'm sh if you've experienced loss, miscarriage, stillbirth, whatever, you know, when you when you lose something that you love so much, it, it literally like the heartache is so intense. And I remember just telling my mom, I'm so, I'm so sad for myself, but I'm so happy for her. Like she never, ever has to feel pain like this. Like she got to 
literally skip through all the pain. I hope she didn't feel any pain, but it's like, she's like, she's in heaven. And I had just such this clear picture in that moment where I had the most excruciating pain running through my entire body. And yet so much peace because I literally could see my baby, even though she's not a baby in heaven, but I could see like her soul in heaven in her perfect form and with her perfect name. And I just think as a mom, like there's nothing more beautiful than seeing your child. And obviously I can't see her tangibly, but seeing your child just in eternity with no pain or suffering. And so anyways, that being said, um, I just remember even that being like a perspective that I chose instead of my perspective being on me and how could this happen to me? It was like this supernatural overtaking and God really allowed me to be, to, to sit from the perspective of what a gift that my daughter never had to experience any pain and excuse my sniffles and my tears. Obviously it's emotional. Um, But then I had to wait a bit of time because I was waiting for Kellen to get back to me because my doctor, and I'm so grateful that she kind of like stood firm and that she was like, no, you need your husband here. And so I had to wait for him to fly in and, you know, then he got there and went into the hospital and it's a weird psychological tor- psychologically tormenting feeling even though in my in in my mind i knew that she was no longer here she was still physically present in my body and i still had a baby bump and i remember just like i'm not going to go in public at all because i'm showing like you know when you're six and a half seven almost seven months pregnant you're showing and i couldn't take it if someone in the days that passed, like if someone asked me, oh, how far along are you? So I just remember sitting, waiting for Kellen to fly to California and just trying to process all of this and went into the hospital actually kind of relieved because I was ready to kind of have the physical reminder be gone, um, for lack of a better, you know, way to say it. And I remember, so anyways, went into the hospital. I had this knowledge that like, you're, you, you're going to have to leave without your child. And that was really hard, but I was trying to prepare myself for it. Basically after she was no longer in my body and I felt so sad and I also felt so relieved, um, to, I just felt relieved to have my whole body again. It's a weird thing to express. And I remember, um, feeling a little interesting and, you know, the doctor and the nurse and they're just like, okay, you know, you shouldn't have much bleeding. If you go through a pad in an hour, my doctor was like, call me because that's pretty excessive. And I remember laying there and feeling, Um, this is TMI if you're a man listening, but for the women who have had periods, especially if you've ever had a heavy period, you can feel that 
rush, (laughs) that gush that happens sometimes when you're on your period. And I remember just feeling this big gush and being like, whoa, that was a lot of blood. I could just feel it. And a few seconds, and I went to say something, and within a few seconds more, there was another huge gush. And it just went down, and I felt it, the the warmth, because, you know, your body's 98.6 degrees, which is quite hot. So I just felt the heat from my blood go all the way down to my calves. And the sheets were covered, and I started to pass out from blood loss. And it was basically, I just started hemorrhaging. Um, and I just started bleeding. And I remember looking over at Kellen and being very in and out of consciousness and saying, I'm bleeding. And then I passed out and I don't really remember the rest. But I remember getting rushed to the emer- to the OR, not the emergency room. I was already in the hospital. But I remember getting rushed to an OR. And I'm in and out of consciousness. I still feel the blood just pouring out. Um, I remember them strapping my arms down in the OR lots of screaming, lots of yelling. You know, if you've ever watched a medical drama and they're yelling, we need this, we need that, that's exactly what it was like. I was not 100% conscious for it the whole time. And I remember just thinking, just put me to sleep, just put me to sleep because I was already so in and out and woozy and I had at least enough understanding that I was going into a surgery, but I just wanted them to put me to sleep so that I didn't have to be awake in this bright white OR with my arms pinned down and my legs pinned down and all of this going on because I basically just started having internal bleeding. And um, I woke up, I guess, 11, 12 hours later in the ICU. Um, They took me off of the anesthesia. I I was intubated, so I had a tube in my throat. I was on a ventilator. And they kind of wake you up and then they take the tube out and I panicked and um, (laughs) there was just a lot of drama with that. But bottom line, I woke up, I remember feeling so sore and looking at my body and I had lines and IVs everywhere. And my parents and Kellen were looking at me as if I I had been risen from the dead, which later found out, oh, kind of were. Um, when your doctor comes in and is so happy to see that you woke up and that you're alive, that's always a little alarming because, you know, I wasn't supposed to go in with the potential for death. I was just supposed to go in. I thought my biggest thing was going to be, man, I'm going to have to leave this hospital without my baby. And so, yeah, it was just a very intense thing. I guess at one point, they had to invert the bed because they couldn't get a they couldn't get a vein anywhere. They had multiples that they were trying to put in at the same time to get blood and blood products back in me because it wasn't like I was having these random blood loss moments where over the course of you know a, a lo- some time I lost a lot. It was it, I, it just all came out at once. And um, so I lost I guess over three liters, and you only have five in your body. So over 60% of my blood. And it was, yeah, it was just intense that in the days that followed, it was intense just processing everything. But I remember being in the hospital and I remember walking through this and I remember just making the decision that I am 
not going to go based on what I feel. I'm going to go based on what I say I know about the character of God. And that is he is faithful. He is good. He is kind. He is loving. And I really, like I said in the beginning, I had such a clear picture of him covering and protecting my daughter. And then as I walked through this, and I know at some point in the future, I will really go into depth and really share um, all the ways that God showed up because it's mind-blowing. But I remember really thinking this is one of those pivotal life moments where I either believe what I say that I believe or I don't. And I either walk the walk or was it all just talk? And I didn't want it to just be talk. I'm like, I want to walk this out. I want to test you, God, and not test you in a way that's like, you owe it to me. Prove yourself with an expectation or entitlement. It was just like, it was that faith. And I was like, God, this is who I say that you are. And I do believe it. But now is the opportunity for you to show up and prove that you're that person in an actual real life experience. And so just like my a few breakdowns of my perspective, but my perspective could have been, man, I went through this all alone. I had to find out by myself that she had died. I no one was in that OR with me. Like, you know, Kellen was across the country and in uh, I said Canada. He was not in Canada. In New York, I was in LA. You know, I was alone. How could I be all alone? But my perspective wasn't that. My perspective was wow, God, I was never alone. You were there with me in that room when I found out you were, your arms were around me. My husband's couldn't be, but you were there holding me and holding my daughter at the same time. You know, I there was a delay once I found out she had passed and actually having her physical memory outside of my body. And I think that that could have been something where I could have really harped on and I could have really gotten depressed and oppressed and been mad and upset. But to be honest, having her inside of me for a little longer really helped me to process. I think had I found out and then immediately gone to the hospital, gotten it, like had it happened so quickly, I don't honestly know that my recovery, you know, emotionally and spiritually would have been as smooth because she was inside of me for a while. And by a while, not a long time, but, you know, she was inside of me for longer than I ever imagined. And it's weird and psychologically, you know, and my body never went into labor naturally. And I was grateful for that, honestly, because it was almost like God gave me this time that was such a gift that allowed me to really process, really not, really kind of face any sort of denial I might have tried to kind of operate in and really be okay and accept that she was no longer here. She's not here. She's in heaven. And I know you feel her in your body and it's terrible and it's torturous, but she is no longer here and that's okay. And I got to wrestle with that with God and work on that with God, but it was such a beautiful opportunity. Um, you know, even the hospital that my doctor normally delivers at and the one that we had chosen and we were excited to deliver at, I wasn't able to, de- to deliver there. I was at another hospital and in, and I could have gotten frustrated at that. I could have looked at it and been like, man, nothing is going my way. We can't even be in the place that 
we felt comfortable and we can't even be in the hospital that we liked that was more homey and comfortable and, you know, nice. The hospital I ended up at, I had to be at for my life to have continued. I lost so much so fast. No, they wouldn't have had time to transfer blood, my blood type and blood products from another hospital to the original one we had chosen. So as much as that was really hard to be in an unfamiliar, sterile place, that place saved my life with along with the doctors and the staff. You know, instead of looking at when I woke up on a ventilator and been like and found out all of what had happened, instead of being like, gosh, it's just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing after bad thing, my perspective was, dang. My child died, but I get to live another day, and I will not let her life have been in vain. I will not make her an idol in my life. I'm not going to, every time her memory comes up, I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to live in grief for the rest of my life. I'm going to honor her by healing, embracing this, moving past this, and her life will mean something, and it will encourage people. But by staying in this dark black hole of woe is me, I'm not honoring her life. I'm not honoring any children that I'm going to have after it because I'm going to be stuck here and I refuse to get stuck here. And, you know, when I got out of the hospital, Kellen had to go, had to come back to work. And so I also could have been super bitter in that moment and I wasn't allowed to fly. Otherwise, I would have gone back with him immediately. But because there were so many tests being run on me and um, just due to like, the potential blood clotting issues and so much other stuff. I wasn't allowed to be on a plane for, I think it was two to three weeks and Kellen had to go back. I could have looked at it as, this is so unfair. I'm going through this alone. I don't have anyone. I don't have my husband. But you know what? The perspective on that one was, Kellen and I can't, we realized very quickly It's a very rare thing, I think, to lose a child or a very unique thing because whether it's miscarriage or stillbirth or even if your child, God forbid, is in the world for any length of time and you lose them, you're both experiencing it in different ways because men and women are so different, but you're both experiencing the same weight of it. It's not the same as, you know, your husband or yourself losing a best friend or a parent. It's so unique because you're both walking through this thing simultaneously and side by side, but in different ways. And Kellen and I found out quickly that we couldn't be the support that that the other needed because we both needed so much support. Um, If you're going through a loss right now, I just want to encourage you, give your spouse some grace because it's hard and we need support when we're walking through these things. But sometimes the person that we want it from the most, like I wanted it from Kellen the most, but I had to really realize and take myself out of it and be like, oh, he's going through this too. And I could have had the perspective of like, I'm so angry. I'm doing this alone. My husband is in a different state, whatever. But really it was like, wow, thank God I have the most amazing family to walk with me through this and support me because that aided in my emotional healing and my ability to get to get not over it you'll never get over it but to get kind of over that initial hump and I think the biggest perspective shift and what helped my grief the most is now I really have the perspective of living in light of eternity 
we're not citizens of this world. We're not citizens of the United States of America or whatever country. If we're Christians and if we are Christ followers, we now, our citizenship, citizenship lies in heaven. And when I had that picture of, oh, heaven is not far. Heaven is a breath away. It's a heartbeat away. Um, it's a moment away. It's not this long drawn out process from life to death. You're either living or you're not. And it was just this perspective shift of, oh, I'm not living in light of what happens here on earth. I'm living in light of eternity because that's where my forever home is. That's now where my daughter is. We have grandparents there, but it's, that's my forever home. I never in a million, million years would have thought that I would have a child beat me to heaven. You know, I never want another child to beat me to heaven. However, what a gift as a mom. She's not dealing with all the craziness that's going on in the world. She'll never experience heartbreak, a boy hurting her feelings, you know, girls being mean to her, scraping her knee. And I just feel like what helped me so much is that perspective of how selfish would I be if I would rather her here with me so that I could feel better and I could feel less loss when she is in the most beautiful, perfect place and in the arms of our Savior and our Creator, just living where we're all, all of us who who say that Jesus is Lord of our lives, where we're all going to end up. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to wish that she's here because she doesn't wish she was here. She is in the best place possible. So I just want to encourage you guys today, if you're going through something hard, if you're going through something difficult, if you feel stuck somewhere, I really, really want to encourage you. You will have to dig in and I want to challenge you almost in a good way because it's worth it. Where is your perspective is it, why is this happening to me? Or what can I do with this? And one of my favorite, favorite things that I've ever heard, and I can't remember who said it, unfortunately, but when you go into a situation or when you're walking through something challenging or difficult or hard, I want to ask you, where is your faith? And what I mean by that is, there's two ways to ask. A lot of people ask this question, which is, where are you, God? And I think majority of the time, what we the, re, the, the tone in which we ask this is like, God, where are you? AKA, you're not even here. Like, I don't see you. You're not around. And our faith, if we can put, you know, a faith to our tone is like, I don't trust that you're here. Where are you? You've abandoned me. You've left me. You've, you've forsaken me. Where are you? If we can change our tone from God, where are you to God, where are you? Where it's not just like we're sitting back asking him, where are you? Come here. Tell me where you are. Why did this happen? But if our perspective can shift to God, where are you? Where we're actively scanning spiritually and with our souls and looking around and being like, God, where are you? Where are you working in this? How do you want to work in this? You know, what is a lesson that you want to teach me through this? God, is this happening to me or is this happening for me? And there's just something that when you can alter your perspective, it is powerful because you find what you're looking for. If you've already made your mind up about something, your entire being, including your physical body, will look for evidence, 
to support what you already are believing and what your faith is in. So if you already believe that God's not around, well, guess what? You're going to start to try to, you're, you're, there's going to be evidence popping up that can be misconstrued to say, yeah, see, he's not here. Look at this, 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 and this. But you can take the same set of circumstances and be looking, God, where are you working? And where were you working in those moments? Can you show yourself? And if you really press in and you ask him to reveal himself, he will always reveal himself. He will always come through. And all. And that's been the coolest thing about this experience for me. And again, like I said, a lot of it is personal. And one day I hope to share, maybe I'll put it in a book, but to see, because I pressed in and said, where, where, where are you? I know you're here. That's where my faith is, is that you're here because you said you'll never leave me or forsake me. That's what your word says. And if you are a man of character, you know, if you're a God of character, that means you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you don't change. So if you're here, that means you were there at this point. That means you're going to be there in the future. But show me. I want to see. And if you want to see, he will show you. And it's just been the most intense but beautiful and mind-blowing experience that I've ever gone through. And I honestly, I, I just refuse to play the what-if game. But there is a part of me that can at least sit here today and say, I love who I am. I love who I am. I love the woman I am. I don't, I'm not done. There's a still, there's still so much more I want to do and accomplish and I want to grow in areas and I do not have it all together. But I can see how pressing in and altering my perspective to reinforce what I say I believe as a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, I still think that we can always alter our perspective, which is the way we see things. And if we can see things from a glass half full, and I'm not saying to be ignorantly optimistic where you're like, oh, nothing is bad. God is good all the time. Da, da, da. No, you can be real with yourself. You can cry. It says in the Bible, I think in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. There's a time for mourning and a time for rejoicing. There's a time for peace, a time for, there's a time for everything. So I think it's unrealistic to act like we will never have negative emotions. So be real with yourself. I'm not saying to, to not engage or don't acknowledge the pain that you're feeling or the frustration or just like the struggle that is life sometimes. But I do believe that you can acknowledge the struggle but also be optimistic in the struggle and still look ahead with optimism and say, okay, this isn't happening to me. This could, this could be happening for me. And I think the thing that's helped me the most is realizing, okay, every setback is a setup for a comeback. Every struggle is an opportunity to strengthen my faith. Every opposition can actually be looked at as an opportunity to get closer to God and to lean on him more because he's made strong in our weakness. So the quicker that we be, we can acknowledge, okay, this is my limit and I'm weak, then the quicker he can come in and fill in all the holes and fill in all the gaps. So for me, I just, I've gotten kind of addicted to being like, all right, Lord, I'm weak in this moment, but I trust you. So how are you going to show up and show off in this situation? I'm so excited to see and he's just been doing it time and time again. And I think just in this loss, this season of loss for us um, that we just walked through, I mean, he's just shown up so mightily and so powerfully. 
and it has blown our minds just beyond. So I can't help but talk about it. I can't help but it's still hard. It's painful. I'm a human being. But the person I am because of walking through that with him, the things that he's refined in me, the perspective that I have shifted, I think eternally, honestly, I can't ever picture myself and my perspective going back to what it was, which is the quote realist or pessimist. I just think that if you can shift your perspective, you can have all the power in your life. If you can ask God what his perspective is, you literally can have, can just be such a powerful person in your life. You don't have to be a slave to that negative perspective that tells you that you're out of control, that you have no control over your life, that nothing good is ever going to happen, that bad things only happen. It's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. I just want to encourage you that it doesn't have to be like that. It truly doesn't. It is painful and sometimes it is a process to rewire our brains, but it's a worth worthwhile process. I promise happiness, contentment, joy, peace, even in the midst of intense pain, they're all on the other side of your perspective. So I hope that wasn't too <laughs> rambly. I hope that made sense. I hope that was clear. When I go back and listen to this, I'm praying to God that this made sense. But thank you so much for listening to a little bit more of my story. And I really do hope that it has empowered you in some way or encouraged you in some way to maybe look at a situation that you either have walked through or are currently walking through. And instead of seeing it for what it is and seeing it for, quote, the facts, that you would see it from a perspective of what is really important here and what can I learn from this and what can God give me through this experience? Because there's always something. There are gold nuggets everywhere. And I just want everyone to find theirs because it's just truly amazing. And just remember, diamonds are not made (laughs) under anything less than intense pressure and heat. So don't give up before you get to be your diamond because I believe that you can be a diamond. You're going to shine bright. You have a story now, but it's going through that refining and that pressure process that turns it into your story into a diamond. It turns it into a testimony and a place of victory and a place where you can encourage not only yourself when you're going through hard things, but you can encourage others. So that is that. Hopefully that wasn't too rambly, but I love you guys so much and um, I will see you next time. Sorry for my tears and shaky voice and out of breathness, but this is real life and it doesn't have to be perfect. We just have to be present. So I love you guys so much, praying for you as always, and I will see you next time.